Hi, it's Alex here. I am very excited to be sharing this news with you, our listeners. So as you might know, if you've been following our work these past years, we have been, well, pretty much obsessed about figuring out the future of film, the future of screen storytelling, whether that is new technology like virtual production or Web3, new creative practices such as well-building or communal journey narratives, or really understanding the radical changes in the culture and audience behavior and the opportunities really that this opens up for filmmakers and storytellers. Well, what's abundantly clear from all of this is two things. Firstly, there are now so many exciting opportunities for storytellers, more than there ever have been before. And secondly, that the old models the old structures and processes are just no longer serving them. So we have decided to address this head on and become much more actively involved in the process. And I'm delighted to announce that we have now launched Future of Film Incubator. This is a unique six month program that applies all of the aspects I've just mentioned into a process that will nurture and develop projects from concept to market. Taking place virtually and with regular sessions at our virtual production studio partner in London, Future of Film Incubator is designed to empower storytellers and bring exceptional new projects to market. It culminates with the exclusive opportunity for the participants to pitch their projects to high profile buyers, investors, and finances. Applications are now open through April 2022 at futureoffilm.live, where you can also find out all of the information and details on the program, plus our incredible list of partners. That include Dell, NVIDIA, Autodesk, Epic Games, Unreal Engine, and Garden Studios, and there are many more besides. So if you are a storyteller or a team of creators, looking to get your project made and take a massive leap forward in your career, I invite you to apply to Future of Film Incubator 2022 at Live. Hello, welcome back to the Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz, and this is a show where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers trailblazers and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. Today's guest is Ngoyen and Ngoyen, who is a filmmaker based out of Montreal. And I'll spell his last name because my pronunciation probably didn't do it justice as N-G-U-Y-E-N. And began his career as a dentist, actually, before focusing on filmmaking, specifically science fiction filmmaking, uh, which really started with the viral hit, The Akira Project, followed by, by acclaimed short films, Temple and Hyperlite, all of which garnered over 12 million views online and received widespread international acclaim. He has now pivoted into real-time animation to realize his filmmaking ambitions, with the cyberpunk animated series Babaroo, with 
writer Philip Gillat, whose credits include Death and Robots. In Anne's words, he is a filmmaker bringing what he can from the real world to the unreal world. And this episode is full of insights into this process as Anne explains how and why he's making this transition and the opportunities and challenges real-time filmmaking presents. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Epic Games and Unreal Engine as part of the virtual production Revolution series. You can check out this and other videos in the series right now at futureoffilm.live. If you're enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a few ways to stay in touch. Firstly, you can subscribe for updates at the home of Future of Film. That's futureoffilm.live. Here you can check out all five seasons of the podcast and dig into other free resources like the Future of Film Report, the Future of Film blog, and also check out the Future of Film Summit. So that's futureoffilm.live. And why not just also hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice to ensure you don't miss another episode of the show we have some amazing guests coming up in season five so be sure to hit subscribe and check out futureoffilm.live so that just leaves me to say thank you for listening and please enjoy this episode on real-time filmmaking with ngoyen and ngoyen I started the show by asking Anne when he first discovered virtual production. So yeah, I discovered virtual production maybe three, four years ago, um, but sort of my career path wasn't uh, directly tied to virtual production up to that point. Um, my first career was a dentist. I, um, I graduated dentistry and worked for a number of years and uh, I decided to pursue my passion. So I went back to film and um, we uh, started a film production company that is traditional a uh, feature slash a documentary film uh, company with two of my friends. And uh, we did that for a number of years. I was, um, I was producing, I was directing um, short films and uh, I sort of pursued my passion doing sci-fi films. So that's when, uh, you know, things started picking up for me. I did um, this thing called the Akira project, which went viral, which um, got me representation. And uh, that's sort of when I decided to focus um, on writing, directing sci-fi solely. Um, and this uh, career path, you know, led me to more, uh, more bigger things and um, to crazier ideas, I'd say. And um, that's uh, that's when I started doing uh, Babiru with with my friends from Montreal, uh, Fred and Ivan, who created the uh, sort of world for Babiru. And uh, we had this crazy idea of like pitching this as a web series back in the day. Um, but obviously, the world is so big and so. Uh, ambitious that uh, it was very hard to get financing for that. Uh, and that is when these uh, sort of um, small bits of the video game films came out uh, at the same time, you know, like very early, I think Unreal 4 wasn't even out back then, um, or like very early on. And the, um, the idea to do something in that world, uh, you know, to create a world that would have the scope and scale of Babiru. Uh, within virtual production using the Unreal Engine were, started sort of um, uh, picking up. And I think that was 2017. So um, we tried to get financing. It was still hard. Then Epic um, came on board. So that sort of allowed everything to move on. And um, that was only in 2020. So the uh, sort of development process, we had the series written 
we had, uh, you know, we had plans on how to make a short initially, like a very contained short um, as a proof of concept. But then now this short is becoming a full-on uh, pilot for the series. So um, that is, uh, you know, sort of the uh, the life of this project. And my my first foray into virtual production really is um, is this project I'm working on now. So uh, very quickly, the the Akira project. Um, what a what an exciting uh, what an exciting ambition and project to do. What was the so many people have talked about doing a live action Akira and you just went ahead and, and, and did that. Just tell me a little bit about how, how that came about because it's a really, it's a really cool project. Yeah, so this project was sort of a past time for me. Back in, uh, in those days, I was, uh, I was still being a dentist. Um, I was running this production company with my friends and I was also running a post-production um, company slash camera rental company with the same partners. Um, so I was in charge of post-production and I was doing a lot of post-production with clients. Um, and on the side, you know, I picked up some skills and I always loved Akira. Akira was the thing that uh, wanted, that pushed me to want to be a filmmaker. And um, the, uh, the idea to do something in that world was always, you know, a dream for me. And I kept seeing these uh, live action versions coming in and out of Hollywood with you know, some bad and some terrible ideas uh, being sort of pushed into those uh, versions. And um, I just wanted to do something basically to prove that it could be done in a certain way, you know, that uh, that would be true to um, what the story was, what the uh, the spirit of the manga was. And um, yeah, so I, I did it. And I think that's sort of the spirit of a lot of my projects is that I, I think something should could should be done because you know i love it because it's cool because uh, I, uh, the story needs to be told and i don't think too too much about it and i do it uh, which is what sort of brought me to do akira uh, and i think you know if i had known how hard that was going to be in terms of um, creating that project maybe things would have been different but i sort of plunged head first and we um we sort of assembled a team of uh, international artists. Uh, we launched a uh, Indiegogo campaign. So we found some money online, but most importantly, we found people who wanted to help us. And uh, I used uh, sort of my film connections from Montreal in the industry to uh, put together a crew to shoot the live action. And over the course of about two years, we did um, post-production. We did um, a number of, uh, of shots that were very sort of uh, big and, uh, and expensive, but on, you know, on a no budget sort of level. And all of these artists were, um, were very involved. They, you know, they loved the cure as much as I did. And that's how we ended up creating this thing. So um, I'm very proud of that project. So like, uh, it's been a number of years now, but it's still one of my uh, cherished memories from sort of filmmaking. And um, I think that's what triggered me to do uh, bigger things and to sort of pursue this um, sci-fi directing career I'm on right now. Tell me a bit more about Babaru, um, because you, you, you said it, it's a very expansive world. Um, it's a... It, expansive and expensive, like both, <laughs> you know, it, it's both, yeah. The two go hand in hand. Um, yeah. And... So yeah, so you had, is, is this a, a world that you have developed yourself? Uh, it is a world that is very close to me. So my, my love um, in sort of the sci-fi realm it has always been sort of hard sci-fi cyberpunk stuff. Akira being sort of the epitome of cyberpunk. And the, um, uh, the world of Babiru was created by um, uh, Fred 
uh, Rumble and even Chantera, so two artists from Montreal. And the um, uh, the world, when I saw the, um, the concept art pop online, uh, I read an article about it um, on some blog, really spoke to me and I sort of recognized the influences of the world, which was, you know, directly pulled from um, uh, Ghost in the Shell, from Akira, from uh, from Blame, all like mangas that I loved as a kid. Um, so I reached out to uh, to Fred and Ivan, and we uh, we went to have a beer. We sort of discussed our background, and we they're the same age as me. They love the same things as me, and I really could sort of connect with them on that level. Um, and that is um, how we decided to work together. You know, because um, uh, the concept arts were online for a number of years. They they were approached by uh, you know a few producers wanting to do something. But I think um, they trusted me because I knew uh, the world that they were building, like I understood it. And we uh, we wanted to do the same thing. And that is um, uh, that is sort of the cyber, like extreme cyberpunk world um, where the um, where humans have disappeared. And the only things that we've left behind are the uh, AIs that we've built. Uh, but they're still functioning on human programming and they're still doing the things we told them to do uh, and building the society that they now inhabit um and we're following them uh two of them at least um, sort of uh, trying to survive in this crazy society uh, so it's sort of a um, post-human show about humanity so we want to talk about things that are close to uh to society right now that are close to us but we want to sort of portray this in this um this not this topic but uh, this uh, futuristic cyberpunk world and yeah, and it's a, you know, it's a series full of action, full of, uh, uh, you know, the world is incredible. Uh, we, uh, we've built like very uh, big environments, very big sets that I could never have done um, in live action. And I basically can do um, all of the, um, the wet dreams of my childhood in, uh, in this project. Like I, I can create, you know, the crazy robots. I can create uh, the monsters that um, I've always wanted. I, uh, I can basically have, you know, complicated action sequences, complicated uh, uh, one-shot uh, sequences that I could never sort of achieve in real life unless, you know, you have 40, $50 million. So all these things are very exciting and it's building into the story that's um, uh, written by Philip Gillat, who did Love, Death and Robots on Netflix. And um, we both, again, love the same type of stuff. And uh, he's uh, he's in putting a lot of uh, comedy, a lot of humor, a lot of heart into a... a um, um, a hard sci-fi story. So it's, it's all coming together very well. Um, I've been working on this for almost two years now and we're pretty much ready to release by the end of the year. Uh, if everything goes well. Well, it sounds incredible and, and very exciting and rich and, uh, and expansive. <laughs> uh, but let's get, let's get specific because this is, it's real time animation, which is allowing yeah. you to, to realize this because, if you were to do this traditionally, it would it would just be, you know, millions and millions of dollars, right? So absolutely, you're trained as a filmmaker. Um, have you had to retrain working with? Uh, I don't know. We're calling it virtual production or real time animation. It feels like it's it's the same piece. But tell me, you know, tell me your experience. So yes, absolutely. My background is very much traditional filmmaking. We um, we shot film in film school. I edited in the Steenbeck for a number of years. You know, my um, my first few projects were still shot in film, and the uh, the transition towards this world has not been you know instant. I um, 
I grew into the um, uh, the CG heavy world of, uh, of sci-fi filmmaking. So uh, I um, I learned the ropes doing projects prior to doing Babu. I don't think that jumping straight into Babu from a, uh, a traditional uh, filmmaking background is um, is an easy step. I think you gotta you gotta learn a few things, or you gotta surround yourself with the with a team that know uh, that knows what they're doing. So the um, uh, the answer to your question is yes. There's been a lot of uh, adjustments. Uh, there's a a few steps that are still, you know, crucial to filmmaking, which is uh, everything in pre-production. We, uh, before I even uh, went to hire to talk to people, I uh, I sat down with Philip and we uh, we hashed out, you know, a series overview. We wrote um, the pilot script. We spent months on just story. So these steps don't really change. Um, uh, we storyboarded pretty much everything, which uh, also helped a lot in terms of shooting. But then it's the, the next few steps that were different. We um, uh, we had to create basically the environment at the same time as we were going to do mocap. So the uh, the mocap stage was still traditional, but was very different. Like I I had never shot mocap before, and obviously this is a very crucial step for. Um, for the, the rest of the project, because you have to envision pretty much the entire project at the mocap stage and making sure that it's going to fit the story. So there's been a, a bit of a learning curve there, you know, like um, I should have shot more things. I should have covered uh, specific things um, I needed, uh, but I still saw that from a live action standpoint. So I was still, yeah, I was wasting time, for example, trying to get angles on the mocap while, um, you know, I could have shot uh, a more complete sequence with just, you know, one sequence and then create those angles later on. So these steps were not um, uh, something that I had done before. So obviously lots of uh, learning involved and time. Um, and I think the big hurdle still, um, even though virtual production slash real-time animation is, I believe, the future, it's still in its infancy. It's still, um, uh, we're still sort of pioneers uh, to uh, the space. There's lots of people more and more jumping on it, but um, there are still technical challenges. Um, the, um, uh, you know, there are steps that are still uh, buggy that are um, that are involved in terms of technically um, challenging stuff. So we had uh, we had to learn how things worked in Unreal Engine. Some stuff worked super well. Some stuff didn't work that well, and some bugs were um, uh, came out of nowhere that we had to deal with. Uh, you know pushing us back a couple of weeks in production. So all of these things are part of the learning curve. But again, that's my, my spirit of filmmaking is you got to try something new. You got to, you got to sort of jump into the void and, um, and hope that you're going to figure it out. So that's what we're doing. Um, tell me about your, your team. Um, how many people are, are working on this and what kind of different roles do you all take? Yes, uh, I'm the director. I'm producing all as well. Um, the uh, the team at the core of it is very similar to sort of a um, a live action post production team. So there's no uh, there's no like magical positions except for a few things that are specific. So we have uh, uh, we have an Unreal technical artist who's um, you know who's crucial for running the um, uh, running the, uh, the the engine, making sure that the project is. Um, uh, is viable from a technical standpoint and making sure that we optimize things into Unreal. Um, we have a number of environmental artists um, modeling, creating the um, uh, the environments in the world. Um, so I started this project with very much a small team. Uh, basically, the 
the people around me. So I had the um, uh, VFX supervisor to uh, to supervise sort of the visual look dev type of um, stuff. I had um, a comper a compositor. I had um, the Unreal technical artist, and I had a few modelers creating the assets, creating the uh, um, the robots, the uh, the monsters, and all these um, different assets we would need. But um, I worked with that for about uh, a year. And uh, when we finally had the assets, we finally had the, the sort of the base. I got in touch with uh, Mathematics Studios. Um, that um, there are VFX house in France that I've always admired, and uh, they're also excited about virtual production. They're also, you know, jumping into the space as we speak, uh, literally at the same time as me. So it was a perfect fit, perfect timing. And so they also came on board. They brought in a number of. Um, other artists, um, again, um, um, artistic directors, modelers, um, uh, sort of uh, particle effects, like um, lighting artists. So all of these people came on board, refined the project, added you know uh, layers of creative stuff on top of what I had built. And um, this is uh, this is a fairly big team now. Like I think overall, everybody that was involved from the beginning to the end of this project is probably going to be around 35 to 40 people from the from beginning to end maybe even more um but now at this step it's uh, mostly people involved in the um uh, actual virtual production side of things so um i have four or five modelers i have um uh two environmental artists i have an unreal technical artist i have my um uh, animation supervisor plus three animators um, I have my uh, VFX supervisor and um, waiting on the aisle is basically everybody else that are going to come in once the virtual uh, stuff is done, which is um, standard stuff, a sound designer, musician, um, compers, uh, colorist, and, um, you know, and the, the post stuff. So, so yeah, so it's a fairly involved team. Um, some people, you know, virtual production allows you to work either with a team like myself, or you can do a lot of stuff yourself if you're proficient in Unreal, if you're proficient uh, in animation and um, in 3D. So I'm not that technical in terms of creating um, uh, the, the actual assets. So I, I'd rather work with a team. It's it's faster for me, but some people work uh, uh, by not by themselves, but like a very small team with, um, uh, with still, you know, amazing results because that's what the technology allows. Amazing. Um, so... You didn't mention like a cinematographer or a. Sorry, I forgot that part. That bit, absolutely. I um, I approached this project with um, uh, dear friend of mine, Simran the one he um, he shot to uh, my two three latest projects, and we approached this from a very um, um, standard filmmaking type of um, uh, point of view. So we uh, we storyboarded everything together. We um, we defined a shot list together. We, um, uh, he was present, uh, on the mocap day. So we directed mocap together in terms of making sure we would capture things, um, that we would need from, uh, from just a story perspective and from, um, from a visual perspective and, um, going forward, he, uh, was involved in creating some of the cameras for me. So this was, oh yeah, this, if you want to go back to things I had to learn, creating cameras was not something I thought was going to take that long. Uh, you know, I, um, I thought that we would shoot most of our angles in mocap and then, and just sort of edit that into unreal and get those cameras already, uh, baked in, but, uh, it wasn't the case. We had to sort of sit down, recreate a lot of the cameras and create new cameras, um, 
uh, with keyframing. We tried the um, uh, the virtual camera way, which uh, you know, uh, using an iPad and using a, a Live Link. It's just uh, it, it was still not perfect. It didn't give us exactly what we wanted, and for for small sort of handheld sequences, it would work. But for long, complicated tracking uh, shots, it would not work. It would um, it would still be buggy. So. Um, those aspects we learned on the um, as we went, and uh, we had to sort of sit down, reconvene, and then we we spent over 15 days doing only cameras um, with uh, Dane, an amazing artist from the UK, and he um, uh, he just created lots of the cameras for me. I had a friend here who actually uh, sat down next to me, and we also did a number of days. So all in all, it was uh, was about 15 days of only camera work, which was not a step I had uh, expected to take that long. So uh, most definitely that this was um, very involved, but I think it's giving this project the um, the level of quality I want. I don't want to be um, uh, doing a video game cutscene, which uh, uh, unfortunately still I think ha is plaguing the space because um, uh, Unreal allows you to do anything you want, and uh, it's very easy to sort of move the camera from super high and you know dive into your character and have these very uh, very extreme camera moves uh, or you know the camera's dulling all the time as the characters are are speaking to each other uh, but i wanted to approach this from a more traditional perspective and have uh, realistic camera moves that you know we would could actually do in real life and um, that's the approach we took um, in, the, in the project you know with some flare ups because um, virtual cameras allow you for for crazier stuff but um, we took our time did the cameras in the uh, in a live action way. So long story short, it took us a long time and my, uh, my VP was very involved in the project and um, my camera artists, again, uh, huge uh, lifesavers. I think uh, they're the ones who uh, sort of created a lot of the, um, the feel and tone for the project uh, with the virtual cameras. That's really interesting. Uh, I think it's, it's really interesting. You know, you're, you're taking a, a, a more classical filmmaking approach uh, to this to this yeah. medium but then you still have to create all of these you know you have to problem solve a lot and the the virtual cameras you created are they now is that something which then you you, you can store and use for later projects what happens what happens to them afterwards is it is that now is that just like a piece of ip effectively uh, there is uh, some IP uh, involved in there because we did a, uh, we did about six months of R and D to um, to get the look of the project before we went to um, to full production. So um, uh, what I did is I again took my traditional background. I I've always shot with these um, set of lenses, uh, Japanese anamorphics that I love. And uh, what we did is we went uh, in studio. We shot uh, full distortion charts, flare charts. Um, uh, and bokeh uh, focus pull to sort of give us the real artifacts, the real way these uh, lens would interact with light, with um, with objects in the um, in the frame. And uh, my VFX supervisor, Shervin, took these um, these tests that we did and sort of recreated a comping solution for these lenses. And um, now we're applying that comp solution. Uh, recreating into Unreal and, and uh, recreating it into the project. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, R&D work that we want to put into this project that can give this sort of the uh, an edge over just a standard um, a standard frame 
coming straight out from Unreal. Um, so yeah, so there is some IP involved. You know, it's nothing. Um, uh, it's nothing uh, drastic or uh, unheard of because uh, we took a lot of inspiration from Toy Story. Uh, the latest one, Toy Story 4, uh, they ba they basically did the same thing using Cook Anamorphics, um, but not in a, in a real-time pipeline. So they took the uh, the lenses and recreated the look of the lenses in Toy Story 4. So I remember watching this film and being amazed at the way that, you know, the flares would look so real, the bouquet would look very specifically Cook. Um, so we uh, we sort of took that approach, but applied it into, um, into our project with the real-time pipeline. And the um, uh, so the idea is to really have a unique look coming out for this project that is specific to this project. And obviously, if this look um, works, I'm going to reuse it for other projects because I've, I think I've shot 90% of my films with these uh, lenses. So I'm sort of taking that approach again for this and bringing what I can from the real world to the unreal world. You're listening to the Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stoltz, and I'm in conversation with filmmaker Ngoyen and Ngoyen. If you are a filmmaker yourself, a storyteller or a creator, check out Future of Film Incubator 2022. You can find out all of the information at futureoffilm.live and also where you can apply to get your project into this unique six-month program. So that's Future of Film Incubator at futureoffilm.live. And now, back to the show. And talking about IP, you've also, also created all of the assets. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the environments and characters. Do you have a plan for those as well after this project or, or are you just thinking just purely about the first season so far? Uh, there, uh, you know, there are multiple avenues for this project. Uh, obviously the assets took us a very long time to create in both in terms of just uh, creating the concept art for, for all of the characters, all of the uh, environments, but also in terms of creating the actual 3d assets. Um, so they're like high quality film, uh, uh, film level um, assets that we can reuse for either film, for video games. You know, the uh, the metaverse is something I think I'm very excited about in terms of uh, of where the space is going. So there is obviously a very direct uh, uh, transition from this project into, for example, a video game or into um, uh, AR or VR. Like it's uh, it's very easily uh, transposable. So um, there is a uh, a possibility, but we're, you know, we're still a very small team and we're focusing on creating uh, the series, like making the series work. And I think once um, we uh, we get the series finance, we go to production and if everything goes well, there's lots of possibilities on what to do with the assets further on. Um, so that is something uh, I'm thinking about, but I'm not sort of actively pursuing because uh, there's only so much time in the day. But uh, obviously, you know, that is um, that is a space I think that's going to see a lot of revolution in, in that way. The, the ability to reuse the assets for other mediums or um, uh, re swapping assets, you know, like, uh, for example, you're, you're shooting something, you're not satisfied with one of the characters. You could simply come back later on and swap the character for a better version of it. Uh, things like that are very um, exciting in terms of uh, creating a very polished project and uh, having 
access to this IP to these assets for future projects. Yeah, um, amazing for an independent company, you know, production company to have that because in a world going slightly off topic, not too off topic, <laughs> but in, in a world where independent producers are able to sell a lot of stuff to, to platforms, not always able to, um, you know, realize an upside to, to a project as well. So um, that's very interesting and that's a very, very exciting aspect, I think, of technology. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's a, we have to thank Epic first for allowing this to happen. This is a really, uh, they're an exciting company that believes in uh, in exciting stuff that ha- that don't exist yet. So uh, you know they have the vision for the, this type of stuff because we got turned down by a number of other bigger companies before Epic came on board. Um, and uh, regarding the IP situation, it is something we're very excited about because Nivan and Fred for a number of years said no to um, you know traditional film studios coming in and just wanting to. Uh, uh, to buy out the entire IP and um, and do whatever it is that they were going to do with it. So us keeping the IP and still being allowed to create this project is a huge uh, plus for us. And um, and having having the IP, having the um, the project to show to uh, potential buyers, and you know it'll give us the edge of uh, controlling our our destiny a bit more. Uh, because you're not at the mercy of just um, executives that don't like what you do or, um, you know, they don't have the same vision. as you. So, yeah. So for independent filmmakers, I think it is the way forward, uh, creating your own IP, creating um, uh, your own projects with little means and then coming at the table with something fully fleshed out uh, that can feel tangible, I think, uh, is going to give us uh, a bigger voice at the table. How have you found the new creative process of real-time animation is it something you want to continue with with your work as a filmmaker what are the pros and cons the the answer is absolutely with a caveat (laughs) so the um uh, i think the entire virtual production process for me is uh, very freeing Uh, it gives me uh, the ability as a filmmaker to sort of execute a vision um, that is not possible otherwise. It really, uh, I think that is the key takeaway for me is that I can achieve the dreams I have, uh, the images that have that pop in my head. I can explain that to an artist and he can create it and we, we can actually see it come to life. So that is very, very exciting for me. Um, you know, I've had a number of occasions where I was upset and I, I'd be like, this is what I want. And people would look at me and say, that's possible. And I realized that is impossible in the live action world, um, unless you're James Cameron. So <laughs> the um, virtual production really is uh, uh, sort of a, a game changer for me in that way. So I will definitely pursue things. And the space right now is becoming super heated. There's like lots of, uh, uh, you know, small, big companies getting involved more and more. The Mandalorian just being one example, but you know, there are entire series now being done um, in Unreal that are going to come out. So um, I think once this uh, space matures there's going to be just more artists that know what they're doing uh, in this space which brings me to my caveat so uh, right now we're still early adopters we're still um, pioneers and we're still learning so the technical challenges have been numerous and uh, you know we had uh, we had consequences 
from these technical challenges. Like we lost months of work. We, we had to, uh, we had to go back and redo cameras because, um, uh, of the, uh, of a bug or like rather a way that unreal engine behaved with uh, scenes and sub scenes and reusing characters. So, uh, we didn't know that was the case. And then we lost, you know, um, half of our cameras that we had to redo, which set us back two months, um, in terms of, uh, of production. So these technical, technical challenges I could have done without. Um, and it was very frustrating to be, uh, very honest. Like it was not something I wanted to deal with as a filmmaker because it sort of stops you from being creative, but you have to deal with these things. And I think it's, it's part of the game. It's part of the, uh, um, the way that this, uh, this space is growing. So everybody involved understands that like we were frustrated, but we understand that, you know, we got to find solutions and the next time it won't happen again. So this is sort of, um, the biggest uh, caveat for me is that uh, you have to be ready to, to feel some pain as you create these things, but the, uh, the result and what it allows you to do is so, is so game changing that, um, I'm very much willing to, uh, to do this, to do this step that's painful. And then next time it'll be less painful and you'll have more people that know what they're doing, um, in this space. And I think that is, uh, something I can see, like there's a hunger for a uh, specialist in the uh, virtual production space. And people now are just learning uh, themselves how to, uh, how to operate, how within the unreal creating these things, how to, um, how to become better on real technical artists. And, um, and, you know, within a couple of years, you'll have enough people to work on major projects. So once uh, we reach that point, the caveat may disappear and it'll become just, you know, a more fluid process. We've talked on this show quite a lot about live action and virtual production and how real time tools can help um, can, can flow into the live action um, workflow. Are you looking to go back into live action? And if so, do you, do you see you're going to be taking some of these tools and um, processes with you? Absolutely. I still love live action. I still, um, uh, I, I still think there's a, there's a place for live action. There's a place and time when you don't need virtual production and you just you know, you need two actors, a camera and like uh, an intimate setting. Uh, I don't think that um, uh, VP will replace uh, everything. Um, I think I will bring back virtual production onto specific projects that, uh, again, need the type of scale, scope or efficiency that uh, real time allows you. And, um, and yeah, this is very much, I think, a, a hybrid world that's going to, uh, to happen in front of our eyes. And um, my next projects are, you know, there's a full-on real-time animation working with MetaHumans that uh, I want to embark on. That's going to be another uh, huge challenge. But there's also uh, another feature film I wanted to do that would involve virtual production on set with uh, with leds that will allow us to create this world um uh, in front of the uh, behind the actors rather and the um uh, the technology again is maturing in that way like uh, it's becoming very uh, very seamless like some stuff now i'm looking at and i'm not sure that they were a virtual production so that is a very good sign that you know things are uh, things are happening at a very fast pace in terms of technology so uh, absolutely. I think the, uh, the future four or five years, we'll see lots of, uh, indie filmmakers jumping into the space, lots of bigger studios jumping into the space. And, um, I want to be part of that wave. Well, you already are, <laughs> which, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, 
what do you think the the biggest challenges are for real time animation or, or virtual production? For example, one challenge I, I think is for real time animation is that the style it, it, you want to move away from it looking like a, a you know a, a game cutscene in something different, which I you know with mm-hmm. the work you're doing, you're clearly. Uh, addressing that but yeah what would you say are the biggest um, challenges it needs to overcome as a as a uh, an art form i think as an art form and um without you know disrespecting game um uh, game artists because they they do a tremendous work for the industry that they're in uh, but i think more and more film people are stepping into this world and i think uh, we're bringing in a different um, uh, type of vision, a different type of working um, in the space. And uh, I think the merging of uh, the game artists with the film artists are going to be what um, what is going to set the space, uh, you know, to a higher level because it's, it's a hybrid. I have on my team, I have people who have been, uh, you know, working in the game industry for years who are now doing film stuff. And uh, I have film people who have never touched Unreal before that are working in Unreal. And uh, both of these people are excited to, uh, to, to do this. So I think the merging of, um, uh, of these artists and sort of the knowledge uh, past being passed from one another will create this new space. And it's uh, right now it's a lack of artists knowing uh, the space that is, I think, still holding things in them, uh, holding things back a little bit because um, we just don't like in Montreal right now, there is a shortage of artists uh, already for the game industry. Um, so, you know, you're basically relying on game people to work in virtual production, but they don't exist because they're in studios. So creating these new artists is, I think, uh, the main one of the main hurdles of, um, of the space. And the second thing that um, I realize now is that virtual production does not um, take away all of the traditional hurdles of creating a film, you know, all of the... Um, uh, the story aspects, the the camera aspects, you got to think about your shots, you got to think about story, but you also, if you're going to create a world, you have to create the assets. And uh, there's lots of ways now to create a fast environment or a fast um, character, metahumans being one of them, but still creating something wholly original uh, with the quality that uh, you know you want still takes time, still takes a lot of work, still takes a lot of money. So I think we have to remember that like you know you can't just crank out content because uh, it's easy to do. So I think yeah, you got to sort of take your time and create something good out of the space, and um, and that is something we uh, we want to do. You know we're taking our time. It could have gone faster, but. Um, uh, creating really high quality work takes time. So that is, um, that is a second hurdle. I think that you can't sort of uh, jump through just by, by magic. It's definitely not a shortcut. Yeah, exactly. There's no shortcut to, uh, to good work. So that's, um, that's my uh, takeaway. What would you say to a filmmaker or a creator who is considering using these tools? I would say, you should absolutely uh, do so and you should try to learn as much as you can online. There is lots of um, uh, resources online to, um, uh, to pick up film production, uh, film production. There's lots of resources online to uh, learn virtual production. Uh, you have access to Unreal for free. You have access to a lot of resources for free, like uh, assets from mega scans. You have, uh, you know, you have characters from MetaHumans. You have, um, 
um, you know, kit bashes that you can put together to create an environment from scratch. So these things are readily available for free or for very low uh, price. And the knowledge is a lot of it is free right now. There's lots of people just wanting to share what they're learning. And I'm, you know, this is what I'm doing now, but I would love to also be able to share once a project is done, how we did it. Um, so the space is uh, very open right now. There's a hunger to learn and you have to, uh, to take advantage of that. Like you, uh, there's no real, uh, barrier to entry right now. Uh, you know, having a, uh, a decent computer and just having the, the time and willingness to learn is, is enough. So, and the second step would be to surround yourself with a team that understands what you want to do. I think uh, you, you gotta start with yourself, but then you can't do everything by yourself. And um, that for me has always been the answer for my projects is that I find people that believe in my vision and that can push this vision forward and get it to a, to a better level than what I could do myself. So those two, uh, those two things have been uh, crucial for me uh, executing on my vision. And, um, uh, and again, the space is going to uh, grow very soon, very fast. So if you're thinking about it, you should think about it now. And would you say virtual production is an evolution or a revolution? Um, I think it's both. I think, uh, you know, virtual production as a uh, technology has existed for a number of years under like different forms. Uh, you know, it, uh, it was a green screen back in the, the 90s. It was... Uh, it was just uh, James Cameron doing uh, Avatar um, um, when I think he was one of the first to do sort of mocap with an actual environment behind him that he could see live on set. Um, so these things have existed. It's just evolving into this new form of, um, of real-time production that now is opening the door to a uh, a lot more artists like you don't need to be james cameron and what a dig digital to be able to do something uh, in the space anymore and i think that is going to be the revolution in terms of the uh, the type of content the type of people that can create stuff um, like this so i think that's going to open a huge sort of uh, gateway for for people to dreams bigger things to create bigger things and um, uh, I, I think like all of these young people coming up right now are going to be uh, sort of bringing that fresh, uh, that breath of fresh air into uh, virtual production. So that is the human revolution, I think, is going to come uh, based on that. And the technology is an evolution of something that's been existing for you know, 20, 30 years now. And where do you see this going in the next five years? Uh, I think it's going to become a lot um, I think it's going to become a new standard. Um, right now, there are still companies that see um, virtual production as um, not good enough in terms of, you know, you place it next to a traditional CG shot. There's still going to be um, differences. There's still going to be quality differences. Um, but as the technology evolves, as you know, Unreal 5 comes out, as more people learn how to treat that image, I think it'll become uh, indistinguishable from one another. And once that happens, uh, basically people will have to accept it. You know, ILM, big companies now are embracing Unreal as a uh, sort of side tool to their arsenal, but uh, smaller studios will probably embrace it as their main tool. Um, one thing that I can see um, being sort of a, um, a comparison is uh, DaVinci Resolve. I'm also, uh, I've been working with Blackmagic for a number of years. And uh, I remember Blackmagic back in the day when they had, just bought Resolve, uh, and it was still sort of a very niche software, being um, being seen as um, 
as the tool parameters, cameras parameters, and uh, now Resolve is becoming sort of this uh, bandwidth in the industry. There's a lot more people just using DaVinci Resolve as their main editing finishing tool. Um, and it's taken, you know, five, six years for that to happen. So I think the same thing is going to happen with Unreal and virtual production. I think once the, um, uh, the technology matures and once uh, the artists are able to get the quality that they want, it'll just become um, a new standard that people are going to embrace. And I think that's going to take uh, three to five years to happen. And you're excited about that? I mean, it is, uh, I am very excited to be, um, uh, to be early on, you know, I'm still, uh, I'm still early, even though there's lots of people already uh, doing this, but, um, to be part of this new wave, uh, is always exciting. You feel like you're, you know, at the crest of, uh, of a wave and you're just riding it until, until the sunset. Right. So that's, um, that's very exciting. And I think, um, I'm connecting with people like me, um, indie filmmakers who are doing the same things as me. And we're all excited what this allows us to do. And we all have, um, we all have these amazing projects that, you know, when they show me their stuff, I'm like, holy moly. And uh, we're all creating different things, but in, um, in a way that we could not have created before. They've, uh, you know, they've created worlds um, that are extremely impressive with uh, very limited means. And I think that's just a very exciting time to be in. So thank you again for listening to this episode of Future of Film podcast, which is part of the Virtual Production Revolution series, which is presented in partnership with Epic Games and Unreal Engine. For more Virtual Production Revolution episodes and exclusive materials, head on over to the home of Future of Film, futureoffilm.live. So thanks again for joining us, and I look forward to seeing you back on the podcast very soon.